Greetings, friends and fellow demons. The struggle and interaction between personality and essence may be conceived similarly as the struggle between yin-yang in ancient Taoist practices, or the struggle or harmonizing between the father principle and the mother principle. So we hear lots of statistics in the media about how uh, single parent children have a much harder time than two parent children in terms of say prison populations. Like a huge overwhelming majority of people in prison were a uh, single parent household, had parents who were divorced or something like that. But what they don't tell you is that that prison population is overwhelmingly single parent mother. And I don't think it's any stretch of the imagination. I think most of us from our personal experience bear that out, that that is the more common situation. And what they don't tell you, because it's really such a smaller uh, statistics and it, is, it isn't nearly as, as um, inciting, is that single parent households where the, where the single parent is a male or a father have almost the same uh, effect as uh, dual parent relationships. So what that says is that the father has a very important role in establishing sense of order, sense of personal boundaries, um, you know, self-responsibility and some of these other things. Um, this is not to say that the mother uh, principle doesn't add a lot of really significant things too, but they are inherently things of the feminine nature or of a yin nature. So in Taoism, uh, ancient Chinese philosophy, the yang represents the male, the sun male principle, and the yin is like the, the dark feminine principle. Um, within the context of golden flower, um, it, the yin force is the dark feminine force that rises upwards. Uh, you know, from from below and on upwards towards the absolute. And the yang principle is that which descends upon us and is received from above, which is the sunny influence which moves down through us in a, in a different form of uh, nourishment. And the way of the work is to get this circulation going, not to like be on one side or the other. It's the same thing as like uh, that man is a two-natured being. The goal is not to destroy um, personality in favor of essence, because actually that's impossible. But the goal is to empower and strengthen essence and grow essence to the point where it becomes the leader rather than personality. So you could talk about maybe they they they, they had some equitable sort of like a relationship, but the reality of the situation is left on its own due to that chaotic nature of of yin of personality is that it will seek to it will seek to cover everything and control everything even um, even if it's not in its own best interest to do so. 
So this is why um, it's always in the best interests of being to grow essence to the point where it can it can get up there. And the reality of the situation is you never, probably never will get it fully up there. Um, but that effort to do it, that effort to do it is what allows an opening to occur so that something higher might be received. I don't know if this is entirely true, but it seems as though those who have only the mother-nurturing relationship end up uh, in life being more susceptible to being taken advantage of, they have more difficulty exercising self-control. Um, this probably has something to do with why so many of them end up in prison eventually. And um, I'm saying this, trying to say this in as non-judgmental a way as possible. Significant part of my upbringing was uh, from a single mother uh, point of view. And, and um, I got a lot of good things from that. But I also developed some other qualities from that, which later in life I've had to struggle with that make me special. I'm just telling you, I have to struggle like everybody else. We all struggle. We all got our crosses to bear. Well, I was talking about Crowley's um, emphasis on ceremonial magic. Um, I didn't mean to dismiss that entirely. Um, there's a lot to be gained from ceremonial magic. You know, I'm a practitioner. I practice it. Um, maybe not as much as I used to uh, when I was younger, um, but it's still there. It's still in the kit bag. I still will again. Um, what you find, though, a lot of times with ceremonial magic is what you gain from it. The things that you gain from ceremonial magic are not permanent. This might have to do with the sorts of things that you can gain from ceremonial magic. Um, due to the nature of ceremony, it tends to be things that you can articulate very clearly. Um, you know, speaking aloud, often speaking aloud in front of other people. This is the other thing that um, about ceremonial magic is it is tailored toward and often used in the context of groups with other people. So your articulation of your inner state, your inner will, inner wish will change when you are in the presence of other people. It will change by yourself when you know other people will see it. My uh, own inner inner thoughts and, and uh, inclinations and impressions most certainly change as I deliver these uh, podcast episodes knowing they will be seen by any number of other people. It's a natural human tendency. So that all of that is not to dismiss ceremonial magic, but that you enter it understanding its limitations. Um, and, and also then that what you do gain from it often will not be permanent, I have found. The things that will last with you are the things that involve deep inner seeing as come from such practices as 
um, you know, meditative or yoga practices uh, combined with, um, with uh, systems that encourage looking within over being caught up in things that are uh, without. And Crowley did talk about those things too. He did uh, talk about yoga. He did uh, promote uh, meditation and stuff like that. You know, and and I don't I don't know to what extent he was sincere about that, because he also promoted drinking body fluids and 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 stuff like that and and illicit sex and 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 uh, things that would nowadays be considered um, abusive uh, behaviors. So it's hard to say, but ultimately, you have to take what is significant and what resonates with you and roll with that. The permanent changes, um, getting back to personality and essence, permanent changes take place in essence. And the impermanent, temporary changes are the ones that really only penetrate as deep as personality. And so going back to ceremonial magic, it's really easy to see because it's, it's articulated, because it often literally involves putting on a mask or a hood or cloaking yourself, or, you know, trying to appear as something that you're not, and interacting with other people, pretending, you know, doing theatrical things. Um, it's really easy to see how the changes from that don't really penetrate any deeper than personality, which again, can be conceived as like a, a amorphous bubbling layer that like coats uh, the, the essence, the inner core, of what is real and what is uh, what can be permanent and what you came into the world with and what you can leave the world with. The funny thing about Anton LaVey in all of this is he seemed to be in many ways pushing in the direction of essence. Now he never I'm not sure if he ever really used that term in the sense that I am here. I'm quite certainly he didn't never spoke about um, essence and personality as a dichotomy or related to that dualistic nature or uh, man as a two-natured being idea. But he did seem to kind of push in the direction of essence. And you see in various ways that he would even though he did the satanic, you know, he published the satanic rituals and he gives you, you know, ritual ideas in here. And they did, you know, he loved when the cameras were around to come out and do some ceremonial magic. And his actual teachings, the ones that seem to be uh, most sincere in their nature, like a lot of those articles in, in uh, The Devil's Notebook, he seems to be kind of steering you not away from ceremonial magic, but to go beyond it and not get caught up into that and to go into what is real and to understand that real magic comes from enacting it directly, right? Which has to do with an inner self-transformation, a transformation of, of being, right? In Sedian terms, we call it uh, greater black magic. Um, Anton used the term greater magic to kind of refer to this. But it often, those terms do get conflated with ceremonial magic. And it's important to understand that the actual act of magic is not the same as the ceremony. All the time you see people conflating this whenever, oh, I have to have my special magic 
knife or my special magic sword. You know, even though Anton goes through in the Satanic Bible and he, and he talks about the ritual accoutrements, clearly his teaching about magic is that none of those things are really necessary. You only need them maybe to get going uh, in the beginning. In the same way that Dumbo needed that black feather to be able to believe that he was able to fly. But then when he was removed of the, of the feather and had to fly in a spinch, he, he could do it. And he found out that the power was within him. Uh, Dumbo is uh, another one of the great uh, mythological stories um, that talks about the power of essence and the power of real magic and how it is connected with essence. To say you're going to use personality to get to essence is kind of like saying you're going to use chaos in order to get to order or use evil in order to get good. This is actually the way of the politician where they say they love to quote um, they love to quote Machiavelli and the ends justifies the means. In other words, whatever you do, um, it doesn't matter if it's evil or whatever, because the ultimate thing I'm going for is good. Well, of course, you can use that as a justification for committing uh, evil personality related uh, bullshit acts for all of your life uh, and never get to the end of it. What this doesn't take into account is one of the very old ideas. It comes from Zoroastrianism, but Ayn Rand more recently said it very well when she said, when you compromise with evil, evil wins. This is another principle that ties in with the law of threes. Uh, when you act upon something, this is like the typical Hegelian uh, dialectic, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, right? You act upon something, you act, there's a reaction against it, and then the result is somewhere in the middle. In other words, it comes down. Whereas if you stand your ground and you become the right sort of passive force, uh, you attract the right kind of active force to act upon you, black flame, super substantial, then the result, the reconciling force will be, that is in the middle of those, will be higher than you. This is how by standing your ground and being a passive force, you actually begin to move upward. You move upward through the octaves of being. And you know you need two shocks to create an octave. There's always a shock that occurs between me and Fa. This is the uh, half step on the musical scale between me and Fa. And then another step, half step occurs uh, at the end between Do and between C and Do in order to create a new octave. Um, you can see this by looking at a piano keyboard and seeing where sometimes you have two, 
black keys and then sometimes you have three and when there's black keys missing in there that's where there is a shock in the octave go ahead plunk it out yourself you'll see that all of this is validated in material reality of vibrations we talked about moses and pharaoh in the biblical exodus as being a uh, fable about the struggle between personality and essence and Moses had to create two shocks to complete this octave of really becoming his true self his very self which is when he becomes a prophet or a magus his first shock comes when he accidentally kills an Egyptian. This causes him to leave his current context of living like an Egyptian. He can no longer fake his personality, but he's still struggling back and forth. He still has influences like going back and forth. You know, he's tempted back to his mother and Egypt and stuff like that. And he doesn't really know who he is. His second shock comes after he goes through a series of trials, you know, traveling through the desert and, you know, starvation and deprivation and stuff. Uh, the second shock comes is the one that, uh, and this is the one that completes the octave, allows him to start a new octave, is when he sees the burning bush and gets this connection from the divine. There's an intervention from the divine. And so this is another thing that they talk about in, in, in fourth way teachings is that the first shock is, is like sort of a, an intentional thing that we do and then but the second shock it, it comes from above it comes from outside and there's nothing you can really do to make it happen you can try and attract it but then really you just have to wait and be there for it this is where you get the idea of uh, watchfulness of becoming the watcher that you just watch and you wait and develop yourself and you wait for that moment when something can enter, something from above can enter and penetrate you know, black flame super substantial and nourish that part of yourself, the essence, which is permanent. And the point about Crowley's belief that he was uh, contacted uh, that he received a transmission. And he really did believe that. He believed that he was contacted by something from beyond. If he was born in today's world, he might have ended up interpreting it in terms of uh, extraterrestrials. Um, it's, it's not that different than that, but he really believed that he was contacted by something and that he was tasked to bring a new logos to mankind. And the fact that he believed this and so much they dedicated his life to it. And in fact, he went through after it happened, he went through, I don't know, another decade plus of total, just like personality indulgence, um, wickedness, uh, illicit sex and drug use. And then he sort of had an awakening and he came back to the book of the law. 
and, and he came back to that essential message and what he believed was the truth of that transmission. He believed that there was a higher truth to reality. That is why, in the end, the valuable thing, the important thing about Crowley takes you clearly outside of the realm of Discordian, chaos, postmodernist, cultural Marxism, uh, because he believed that there was a truth. And all of that stuff teaches nothing is true, everything is permitted. Crowley spent his time doing nothing is true, everything is permitted. Then he went back to this idea of the truth. And he charged that with such vigor. He charged that with the essence of his being and allowed himself to be charged by it. That that is the thing that, that has survived as the kernel of truth in all the milieu of bullshit that has pervaded, pervaded about Aleister Crowley. All of the personality stuff, all of the Horace Harwarian stuff, which has gone on only to encourage more postmodernism and more discordianism and more cultural Marxism. It like begets like in this sense. But within all that is the kernel of truth and that you know that's what made him a magus. That's what he was a magus of. That's what he was a prophet of. That he was a prophet of a truth that he saw and that he believed in. And it's also a truth that all of us have a magushood within us. Diabolican talks about this um, as the black magus. And this is something that is within the reach of all, um, all of humanity, all of, uh, all of the elect. And what that means is that you have within you essence that cannot die and you have within you truth. And if you hold on to that truth, you just might keep those dark fires burning. Thank you.